Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode aired originally on my YouTube channel on the 26th of April 2021, and it was with Travel Camel's Shane Dallas. I spoke to Shane about the state of photography and his weekly Twitter chat, TRLT and the meaning behind it. All of that and much more. Shane, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully, actually. It's a magnificent sunny day, not a cloud in the sky here in Nairobi, and the weather's in the high 20s, so it's tremendous weather. People who don't know who you are, just introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Shane Dallas. I write under the name The Travel Camel. I've been writing under that name for nearly 20 years, so it's quite a long time. I'm also a keynote speaker. I've been public speaking for more than 30 years. I've been doing travel photography for more than 30 years, and I'm also a conference director. Where did the initial love for traveling start? Well, I'm from Australia, and my mother's side of the family comes from Adelaide. 700 kilometers away is my father's side of the family. And when I was a boy, and I mean I was a boy, five, six, seven, we used to travel between the two quite a bit, the mother's side of the family and then the father's side of the family. So when we were in Adelaide, lived in Adelaide, we travelled to Melbourne. When we lived in Melbourne, a few years later, we, we travelled back to Adelaide. And so from a young age, we always took these family road trips. And I remember leaving Adelaide and I'd sit in the car and I was so small I couldn't see, I'd sit in the front seat and I couldn't see over, so I'd sit on my legs and I still do it to this day when I fly. I'll put my legs underneath me and it's and I prefer sitting in A seats because that's where the passion builds. And so things really haven't changed. It's amazing, that influence. And I would look out at the windows where my mother and sister were sleeping in the back. I'd turn around and they're sleeping. My father's driving and he loved his driving on country roads. He did a lot of work in the country, so he drove a lot. And I'd sit and I'd look at the new signs. Back then, we talked in, in Australia in miles back in the early 70s. So there would be mile posts, which are now replaced by kilometre posts. And every, I just thought every new town was something new. Every place we passed through was something new. And that started at a very young age where when everything I saw was new and different on the road. And that, that really was the start. And then... The first major road trip we did was in 1977, where we moved from Melbourne uh, in Victoria, which is the second largest city, up to the Gold Coast, which is now the tourist capital of Australia. Back in 77, it really wasn't. It was getting there. But back then, 1977, for those listening to Australia, uh, the Gold Coast had enough high-rise buildings you can count on two hands, and now it's got dozens upon dozens. It was a very different place. And that was a really long road trip. That took two nights on the road to get there with a young family. They had, then I had three brothers and sisters, not just one. And so we had to take it in steps because the two youngest were really young. It was too hard. And I just thought it was the most amazing journey ever. It was amazing. And, and when I got old enough to start travelling, first overseas journey in 1986, 
I headed off to New Zealand, something a bit similar to Australia. And my advice for anyone traveling is take it in steps, go a step at a time. And that was the first trip. And then more overseas trips followed. And uh, so it really started at a very young age from those road trips to the family back in the 1970s in South Australia and Victoria. In terms of education, then, were you set out? Were you looking to get into the travel industry? Because obviously you do it now. Was that the case or did you go into a different field altogether? I had no intention at all getting into the travel industry. <laughs> so my, my u- first university degree was actually economics. And I, I dropped out of it because I loved it at, at high school, the secondary school, the last few two years. It was fantastic. I went to university and it was it just was so dry, the, the lecturers and everything. It just didn't, didn't work for me, so I dropped out. Uh, but I never intended to do that. Uh, for my first big overseas trip, which was 91, 92, that was, I say, for years before going on that trip. And my aim was to do three things in the one year, 1992. It was to go running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. It was to go to the World Expo in Sevilla, and also to attend the Barcelona Olympics, attend the opening ceremony. And I had, and, and that was, and I was away for a year then. And back then, there was no Schengen visa. So as an Australian, I could stay in Europe for a very, very long time, which I did. That was uh, 10 and a half months. And there were no restrictions. But I mean, it was a bit different back then because when I was in Germany, I needed Mark. And when I was in France, I needed Franks. And Every country I went to, and it was Slotty and Polish and Poland and, and everything, but every current, every country had a different currency. So it was, a, and then you had to get visas. So back then it was visas such as I needed a French visa, believe it or not. And then I needed visas a place like Czechoslovakia, which it was then, and Poland and Hungary, I needed all visas. So it was a lot more, and even needed a visa for Spain. So it was a lot more different back then traveling. In fact, I think it was, I personally think it was easier back then because of the, there was no Schengen. You didn't have the three, the three months and six months rule, uh, which uh, means you could stay a long time. So the whole thing was traveling. Then I came back, got another work, worked for the family company. Then I became a government investigator, worked for the federal government. And I would just take holidays whenever I could. And if I couldn't, travel overseas because of finances or time, I'd always travel locally. Or And Australia's a big country, so there's always you can travel a long way without going out of the country. And that was the whole point. And it was when I was made redundant in 2012 from my government job, and I then travelled overseas. And the whole point was just to – I decided I could stay in Australia or I could go overseas, take the risk, go overseas, not had any guarantees of what was happening when I went and see where the journey took me. And that's what I did. So it was actually, it was actually quite a risk. People said, oh, you know, you were quite brave to do that in my late 40s, going overseas one way with no plan. And at the time, it just seemed the most logical step. But looking back, I think it was actually quite brave. <laughs> so at the time, it just seemed the best option. And then what was happening is I was photographing, and I'm always one who likes visiting less travelled places. So in 2010, 28, I went to places such as Syria, 2010, India, Yemen. Uh, and then I had more time to plan some of these places. And so then I went through Central Asia, uh, places like Tajikistan, Afghanistan, 
And then I was in Kurdistan and Iraq. I went to Somaliland uh, as well. And it was all 2013. And it was interesting because I would then share these on social media. And I, I had hardly any knowledge of social media. So I just put them on social media, sharing here and there. And that's what got me noticed. Social media launched my, my career in this area where my passion became my profession. And what happened then is people started noticing, wow, this guy called the Travel Camel was sharing photos from really different places. And then my first ever media trip was with Fly Dubai, the UAE-based carrier, and that was to Ukraine, the inaugural flight to uh, Kiev. And, and then about the same time I was invited that, two weeks later, uh, literally, uh, no, it wasn't even two weeks. It was the same week. I got an invite to speak at Ebex in Ireland and Dublin in 20, 2013. And suddenly it opened up all of Europe to me and opened up all these opportunities to me. And now I've become TBEX Conference Director for Europe, the same event I spoke at, and also for, for Asia and Africa. And it just seemed that month, that September, that from that mid-September to that early October, everything changed. And suddenly I had fallen into the career and it was never intended. I, I never thought when I left, I thought I was going to do something similar to what I did in Australia or something related to that. And then now I'm in the travel industry and it, I, I literally just fell into it. I, it. It was just something that I was doing because I loved doing it. There was never any intention to make it a career. And then it just happened that opportunities came my way. One speaking opportunity led to more, to more, to speaking at conferences, to speaking at travel trade shows. Uh, and it just, and then I got more invites to go to different places and it just blossomed and blossomed and it was. It, there was no plan. <laughs> there was no plan at all. It wasn't. I wasn't that smart to think of that plan. I can tell you. You said you you did it at a very late stage. There's no sort of plans of being in, in the travel industry. But sometimes, obviously, if you had a passion for travel from a young age, and then something comes because your career path can completely change. You were right about social media. Social media is a is a strange thing. You know, you can make you know, it can make you quite easily make you so, and it only takes one person to watch what you're doing. Some of the places you mentioned as well, they're very remote places where people don't really go to. And in fact, where did that initial wanting to go to those sort types of places rather than the tourist hotspot, where did that initial love come from then? 1992, going to Turkey. Okay. So middle my first visit to the Middle East was 1992, and I didn't stick to the West. I went to the East to places like Urfa and Diyarbakir, and that was really frontier stuff. I mean, I, I think I saw two other foreigners in the week and a half there that, in that region. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I can relate to that. I initially only went to Turkey last year, and I went to Diyarbakir and Urfa as well. Hardly any tourists there whatsoever. Yeah, it, and back in 92, it certainly was – it was frontier stuff. There's no question, frontier stuff back then. And it just – the energy of these places and the people and the hospitality of the Kurds and the food is – you've been there, the food is just phenomenal, isn't it? It's one of the great travel destinations of the world. And when I compared that – now, I'm Australian because my dad's Australian, my mum was born in Germany – and then when I went back into Europe, everything seemed so settled and ordered and 
and quiet. And from that day, and that's not saying it's not good. Of course it's great. It's got its own benefits as well. But it didn't excite me as much. It was beautiful. There's no question traveling through the cities of Europe and places like Italy and Spain. I mean, magnificent experiences. But suddenly there was an energy I had in Turkey. There was an energy and an excitement that I never had. And the next time I had that was 10 years later when I traveled to Jordan. And then suddenly I'm in Jordan and that same feeling came back, back again. And from that trip, Jordan, Egypt, it was then a regular. I, I regularly traveled to these places and that's really what started it. Uh, it wasn't possible between the night in the late 1990s um, to travel that much for me. There's ne- various, fact- various factors I won't go into, but it just wasn't possible. But when 2002 came and I started it, it then began. I went to India 2004, six. 2008 was Lebanon, Syria. 2009 was North Korea. 2008 was also China. And for the uh, to attend the Olympic Games, uh, another one. And it just built and it just increased. So when I had all that free time in end of 2012, so 2013, suddenly you think, wow, I can plan a trip to Central Asia. And given how long it takes you to get visas to go around, I could actually spend seven weeks there and I don't actually have to apply for leave anymore. And this is one when it changed. I could then go to Ethiopia, which I think was my fifth trip, my fourth trip, my fourth trip. And instead of just spending two weeks there, I could spend a month. And I was able to extend everything and explore more. And the slower you travel, the better the travel is, and the better my photography becomes. And and that was a real key. The fact is that I was able to spend more time in places and my photography improved which have been shared on social media, which then got noticed, and then hence the the change in direction. And can I talk to you about your photography? Because you do have some in- incredible photos. You may have noticed the way things have changed over the over the last few years. As I say, with and I mentioned how social media can be brilliant, but social media can also be a detriment in some respect. And I had a guest on recently, and he made his name in the in in the world of travel through photography. But he he said to me, "No, I was a photographer, but I don't class myself as a photographer anymore." And I asked why, and he was he said, "With the way photography has gone, you used to have Pulitzer Prize winners or National Geographic um, photographers making making a living out of it. You can make money from it, but now he said." Instagrammers are now making more money from the fact that you can take a, a selfie with a six pack. And it seems to be photography is, well, the money is more in that now. So where do you see photography? Because the other, other, other thing about photography is when you look at some of the pictures that you do on social media, they seem very manipulated you know manufactured you know a lot of editing going on there and you think to yourself what is anything that you see real because when i look at your photos i see the authenticity you know and i when i i did i went to arts i went to art school and my and we're talking about 20 years ago here and i remember initially my teacher saying to me if you're going to take a photograph and back in those days by the way you had films you had to buy you know, camera reels. <laughs> so you only had we. So the, my teacher will always say, "You have one shot. Make sure you take it perfectly, because otherwise, obviously, you're wasting every single time." So there was no digital 
back in those days. So, so you learn, so I learned, okay, when I'm taking it, timing has got to be perfect. You know, you're making sure the angles, everything lighting, but now with the way things, you can literally take a photo in the summer and change it to a wintry one. Where do you see photography going and where do you see it now? That's a very good point. I grew up in the, the transparency era. And so therefore I'd say go to India and I wouldn't see the photos because I was there for seven weeks. I wouldn't see the photos I've taken for more than three months because I had to wait until I get home. So, and you're limited because each one of those little rolls was heavy. So if you took 50 rolls with you, that's 50 by 36, okay, so which is quite a lot, or let's say you took 40 rolls. You can't, it's hard to get more rolls on the road. And you've also got a weight limit, and therefore you had to be very careful. And back in those days, I learned pretty quickly is that you had to take the time in the field to get the photo right and not in the dark room. And not because the dark room, manipulating in the dark room, what I can do on digital post processing now in five minutes would have taken me five hours. There, there is no comparison. So I always had the rule is you get it right in the field. You get it right then, and post-processing is at a minimum, and and I still hold to that. I mean, I can tell you what I post-process. I do I do color color balance. I do cropping. I do uh, contrast control because transparency is better than digital for contrast. I'll do uh, straightening. I've always been hopeless at getting straight photos. Trust me, it's awful. Uh, and this is all I do. I mean, I really. And if there's a dirt on the lens, I'll use the little thing to get rid of the dirt. But I, I just don't go into that. I, for me, the art of photography and photography is an art. Is the art of photography actually the photo? What we're seeing a lot of now is the art of. Uh, uh, post-processing and that's not photography that is a very different form of art uh, I, and that is old school my my growing up in photography was in the 80s and that is when the art of photography was around everywhere so you are right it has changed I, I'm I can see why people put themselves in photos and I don't have a problem with them putting themselves in photos but if you look at my Instagram there's only two photos of me in all my hundreds of photos of Instagram. One was the first photo, A, I'm here on Instagram, and the only other one was this is my 100th country and this is the philosophy, philosophy I've learned when travelling. I just don't put myself in the photos. It's, it just doesn't interest me. Uh, but I do think it is heading in that direction, and I've heard it from other photographers that making money now is harder and harder because of that. Uh, if I was only relying on photography for an income, that, that would definitely be a harder thing to do now than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago and even 30 years ago. It is significant, significantly more difficult to do that now. Uh, the prices for photos is coming down. Uh, it, it's just becoming harder. So I agree with you, and I, and I can't see that trend not changing. I, I just can't. I, I just cannot see the person who is taking the photo not being the centre of the photo. The role of personality in social media is still very strong in terms of it's very personality-driven. Uh, the person who takes the photo, go, go back to the 80s, 90s, you'd never see photographers in their own photos. They might do one so they could use it as a publicity shot, but that's it. You'd never see it. Now the ease of it means it's more accessible 
And I, I can't, I just can't see that changing. I still think there will be a demand for what I consider traditional travel photography, but I, I don't think it will be eliminated. I, I just, I just don't think it will be eliminated. But the demand for it, it's, it's past its peak. Its peak is gone, and it won't reach those days again. I think you, you make some good points, and. The problem is, you know, everyone can take a take a photo. You, you can take photos on your on your camera uh, on your phone these days, and so you know, almost everyone's become a photographer in that sense. But I, you made a point where when you take a photo, you take it right on the field, yes. and if you're having to rely upon post production, then as a photographer, anyone listening as a photographer, then you're in big trouble because that's correct. <laughs> Because otherwise, you're not really doing what you should be doing. So, but as you just said, there, the art of it, the the skill set, because of digital era, because of post production, it's become easier for people. Well, as you just said, you're not going to make money from it. You're probably going to have to have other skill sets along with it, which has made it harder for photographers. But it is a sad say. I hope it goes back the other way, but I can't see it with the way social media is these days. So uh, it, it is what it is, unfortunately. You started this Twitter chat uh, a good few years ago now. Now, this Twitter chat, I, I get involved with it myself. I started it last year. Um, it's quite a phenomenon. How did it all start? And did you, um, did you envision it to be this successful and, and this long? Okay, it's actually almost 380 consecutive weeks. We started in November 2013, the first week of November, and we've never missed a week. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to swap the interviewer. You've been part of the chat. Why do you like it? Why do you like it? I love the fact that you get to see people from all over the world putting out photos, talking about their experiences. Again, places where people don't go to, and that is the uniqueness of it, you see. So each week you change the subject each week. So one week it could be about the deserts, one, another week it could be about uh, adventures and waterfalls or whatever. Just the interaction as well, the, the, the people that you speak to, and, you know, it, 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 I think it's wonderful. Thank you very much. And what you said is why it attracts people. Because it's different now. How it started was, and I still have the tweet. I took a screenshot of the tweet. It's sitting somewhere. And I was on another Twitter chat with two other people, Ariana and Savannah. And we started talking about Afghanistan. And all of us had been to Afghanistan. And we were all talking. And we were talking about what an amazing, the, the, the hospitality, the incredible scene, the most beautiful country you've seen. And I said, you know, and the tweet was, do you know there could be a Twitter chat in this? Let's talk further. Because we were talking about places that no one else had been to. And so for the, we called it the Road Less Travel. And for the first chat, we had 21 people. <laughs> 21 <laughs> uh, back then. And then suddenly it just exploded because it was the only chat. And it is still the only chat after all these years, which is quite astonishing, where people will share about places around the world that people normally don't see in Twitter chats. I mean, we've had in the last, let's say the last few months, I mean, I always share Afghanistan, we've had Ethiopia, uh, we've had uh, someone shared, didn't someone share uh, Chad recently? I think someone shared Chad, yeah, Stuart. He, he shared Chad, I think it was recently. So we've had Chad, we have places like Liberia, 
we get Central Asia, we get Central America, we get and, and we get places within countries that have all popularly travelled that hardly anyone sees anyway. And therefore it's kept to its name that people can share these places. And one of the reasons for suggesting starting it was so many times I would share places from say, you know, Kurdistan or Yemen or Syria or or Somaliland or parts of Ethiopia, and people will ask me, is it safe? And I kind of got a little bit tired of people asking me, is it safe? In the 300, approximately 380 weeks of doing the chat, and I've been there for almost every week, I've only seen one person ask someone else, is it safe? Was that destination safe? Once in 380 weeks. It is just not something that's done. People, if you go to a place that's different, People trust each other in the community to know that if you've gone there, we know it's safe at the time you went there. And there is no – people can be proud of their place, their part of the world, though many people can't go there, and people are genuinely interested. What you said as well, it's very welcoming. I manually send out welcome tweets every week. It's not automated. It's every week. I just sit down there. Thank goodness Twitter went from 140 to 280 characters because it's half the tweets now to send out. So it's only a few minutes instead of a lot longer. <laughs> and so I send that out, and it's very personal. We welcome people. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Uh, it's rare to see a disagreement. Rare, very rare to see a disagreement during TRLT where people disagree about a method of travel like slow travel or something. It, it's just it's not common. Everyone just accepts people for how they are. And, and for one hour a week, we provide that inspiration. And people know, and we've had in the past year, people have not been at the chat for years. They, the last time I remember seeing some people, 2014, 2015, and then they know we're on 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, summer or winter, every Tuesday, without fail. We never miss a week, ever. And people can come back and know, hey, it's 1 p.m. I'm just going to come back. And suddenly people turn up that we haven't seen for years. And that is the beauty. That consistency is very important. So we, we're welcoming we're inspiring, we, we accept people, uh, we allow people to contribute questions, so therefore it feels part of the community, and we have that consistency, and that has been the secret of TRLT. And as I said, anyone can join us free, come along, there's, you know, there's no, no cost to pay to come, and that's whether you are a private traveller. And, and our balance is quite different. We get a lot of people whose job is not in the travel industry. And this is quite different. So how often have you seen in the chat where people come and says, I've just had to leave the office or I'm on the train on the way home and they are participating in the chat. So this is quite different where the people we attract are not in the industry. We have, I'd say, I'd say, I'd have to be at least half of people are not actually in the travel industry. And the biggest TRLT meet we ever had was in Utrecht uh, in Netherlands, this was well, a few years ago, and I think we had 14 people, and I think only four of those people were actually in the travel industry. The rest were just people who travel when they have leave from their work or something like that, and we've maintained that. So, yes, we have travel brands coming. Yes, we have people like myself full-time in the industry, but we have a lot of people who travel when they can. They, they earn their money, they save. And they use TRLT as a place to say, well, for my next holidays, I've got three weeks. I've got some more travel ideas because of TRLT. And it's, it's, it's community is number one. And that's the important thing. TRLT exists because community is number one. 
It is not a money-making exercise. It is not an exercise to build my profile or any other profiles of the hosts in there. And we have fantastic hosts. And without the host, this chat will not exist. I can tell you now, I'm the only founder left. And if I didn't have these hosts now, this chat would have stopped. The hosts are the ones that keep this going. No one is there to do that. People are there to share that common love of travel to less traveled places. And that is what makes the community so strong. I just mentioned there, I feel like a, a part of the community. So uh, when I share my photo, in fact, I think it was last week where I shared a photo of me going to Zimbabwe and it took 36 hours to get there. Uh, and I spoke about how I was naive when I got there and thinking you can withdraw cash from ATMs. Now I shared those, I shared the tips, you know, whenever you go to Zimbabwe, you know, at the time when I went, actually, I'm not too sure now, but you know, don't, don't think you're going to be withdrawing cash from ATMs. Make sure you take physical cash with you because in an area where you don't have to. So things like that. And I think that's what really makes the chat really engaging. You, you see people from all over the world messaging. And, you know, and it's that t one hour. I know exactly what time it is here in the UK at six o'clock. You know, I know exactly what time it is. One thing is, and the stress again, the community is king. Uh, the whole reason of doing this chat was never to make money. It was just to give people a voice to share their experiences from places without people thinking, oh, that's dangerous or is that safe? People just accept it. People did. When you shared Zimbabwe, did anyone say, oh, why did you go to Zimbabwe? Did anyone? No, no, no. No one. No, in fact, right. people were like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, and the interaction was crazy. So it, that, that's the beauty of it. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, it, and I think this is something we're finding more and more with travel that having that community around you or what you want to talk about, what your passion is in travel, so it could be luxury travel or uh, solo travel or the road less traveled, having that community is essential nowadays. And it's getting harder on social media. It is harder to build a community because it's a bit of a pay-to-play situation, but it is still possible. But having a community around you is critical if you want to build your your profile on social media, build your community, find your advocates, nurture your advocates, encourage your advocates, bring them in, bring them closer to you. And that is how to build a community on social media. How do you relax? Have you got a family? Have you, do you, yes. do you play board games? How, how do you relax? Yeah, computer games, board games, cooking, working oh. with the daughter. Uh, yeah, I've been playing board games. I actually carry small board games, little card games for me when I travel on my own because the thing is if you're delayed somewhere and you don't want to go through your phone, your phone's only got a certain amount of charge even with that charger, then I could just sit there, get a little table and, and do these games. And these are not card games like, you know, spades, hearts, diamonds, clubs. These are actually dedicated card games. And, and so I've always done that. I I've, I love music, always love music. If people ask me my favorite era of music this is, I, mean, I know I listen to everything from from punk post-punk to choral music and my favorite era of music is actually renaissance music and polyphony especially from Italy in the I think it's the 15th century so we're looking at a very niche area you ask people about polyphony most people go huh, what and then but occasionally someone says oh yes I love polyphony as well but like, my goodness what a, what a revelation but look, this never ever bored. I, I'm someone who's never ever had a problem with the life work balance. I've never ever had. 
oh my goodness, we're working too hard. Never. I've, I've always found that balance. I've always find time to spend time with the family, to cook, to go for walks, to watch movies, love movies, to play computer games, to always have time. There's never, and even working from home, I enforce a weekend. Uh, you know, we have enforced weekends, which is usually Sunday, Monday. Um, sometimes Sunday, if I'm working in Dubai, Sunday's work day, so that rule gets broken. But generally, Sunday, I don't even open email. Uh, so it's it just sits there. And it's important to have that balance. Absolutely. Work-life balance is really important. And sometimes people do get that wrong. And so when it's all work, 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 uh, you've got to have to to sort of balance it out with with your with your life and it sounds like you've got a family that supports you as well and as you said playing games along the way when when, when there's a low, low period that's all, always good so you're living in Nairobi I believe in in, uh, in Kenya which is a, a place where I've been wanting to get to in fact it was meant to be on my plans for last year but didn't quite happen obviously for obvious reasons but hopefully i can get there very soon you you would love it but you know what's interesting is since i left australia on december 17 2012 i've never been back even for a day all right okay you, you actually never gone back to australia I've never gone back for even a day so it makes the journey even more interesting in, in a lot of ways but yeah i mean travel's just a fantastic places and and what i'd encourage people to do is that when you can travel again think of these places that are not covered with tourists uh, and that uh, may have, or should I say, have incorrect safety perceptions. People think, oh, Shane, you go to dangerous places. No, I don't. I go to places with false safety perceptions. Uh, that's where I go. And every country has safe and dangerous places, almost every, and most countries which have bad perceptions are far safer than those that have normal perceptions. Uh, listen to people who have travelled there. Speak to locals who have been there. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to people who haven't been there. Uh, when you get to travel again, take a chance to explore the road less travelled. Would you want to not go back to Australia? Maybe oh, yes, I will. But I always thought that I wanted to get this career set up. Okay. And now with a family, uh, it would I'd only go if the family came, and that's a major undertaking. Uh, it's a long, it's a long process to get there. At the moment, it will happen. It will happen. There's a lot of family friends I'd love to see there, but it's not top priority at the moment. There are other things that are probably, from a career perspective uh, and a family perspective, that need more attention than a trip back to Australia. And and that's not saying the career and family perspective has crises. <laughs> it's just that things are good. It's just that there are things the time and money and energy we'd like to do before doing that. One day, absolutely, it's not, you know, it's just forbidden to go back. It's just that the opportunity hasn't presented itself, and it is it is a long way to go. I mean, I I, I can tell you more about long-haul flights than most people in this world, having lived in there and travelled almost every long-haul flight and every overseas trip apart from the South Pacific. So uh, it will happen one day, but it's it's not a priority. It's just not a priority. Well, Shane, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time, and I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. You can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.